Rick Madison and Scott Lanigan, chair of Central Okanagan Journey Home Society, delve into the problems surrounding Kelowna's homelessness issue and interview community stakeholders to discover possible solutions. Hi, it's Rick Madison and uh, another podcast. We have Scott Lanigan, chair of the Journey Home Society. Welcome, right Scott. Yep. And we also have G, and thanks so much for coming in, G. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about your background and what makes you such an integral part of today's podcast. Okay, thanks for having me. Uh, so, G, maybe give give the listeners a bit of a background on on well, you. I have a question first, Rick. Oh, geez. Is that your full name, G, or do you actually have like do you sign off by G, or do you have other parts of your name? It really depends on who's asking. Okay, well, Rick's asking. Just <coughs> Rick, in case Rick's asking. Down the wrong road. Who is? So officially, it's Gerard. It's Gerard Joyel. Um, anyone who knows me for more than five minutes is welcome to call me G, uh, except cops and lawyers. Um, <laughs> usually how it goes <laughs> so so gee this is you know this is a actually in, in an incredibly helpful chat today because uh you my friend have come through uh you know obviously a, a big journey yourself through the streets of, of Kelowna and you've suffered some um some various things over the the course of your life and that's what we're most interested in is just putting I guess a face um and, and obviously you've come out the other side looking very well, but I wanted to find out, you know, give me some snapshots of, of what you've been through and cause apparently you were part of our homeless population. So for clarity, just, we may have to loop this back, but so I, my experience in homelessness isn't really, um, relevant to the current experience of homelessness in okay. our community. Uh, my, my experience is quite historical. It's 30 years ago. Mm. Um, it was, it was minor in relation to most people's experience. Um, so one of the things as the convener of the lived experience circle, um, and the, and the point behind the lived experience circle is to make sure that the, the, the conversation about homelessness in our community is current. It's about the current experience, the current, um, trends, the, the current uh, issues that individuals are facing. Um, my personal journey did include a brief experience of homelessness as a young man. Um, I have a history with substance use, mental health uh, recovery uh, for quite a long time now. I've been working in a social work field for almost 17 years mm -hmm. uh, through all that process. So yes, have kind of moved through that process um, and appreciate the acknowledgement of that. It's just that the, the lived experience voice that we want to hear is the one that's happening today. So you're saying there's a bit of a gap between current and obviously the experiences you had, because obviously oh. things have changed substantially since then and that kind of thing. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a, there's, there's a lot of differences that occur, um, you know, even between, you know, when the journey home process began in Kelowna uh, versus what people are experiencing today who are homeless at this point, um, even their experience is quite different uh, from when journey home began. So it's always important to have that current knowledge, that current experience informing decisions. Right. I couldn't agree more, G. Yet I wonder, does uh, not having some of that experience, even if it's 30 years ago, uh, recognized or unrecognized by, you know, this current populace of, of those that are experiencing homelessness, uh, isn't there a pertinence to it though? Like, doesn't it have an essence where you can kind of look back a little bit, even if you had a taste of it, that helps you reflect on current situation today that goes, okay, I have a bit of understanding. I ask that because I think perhaps some people listening might, well, I don't get it. I can't see it. And maybe there's something in their history that they can look back on to just get a bit of a glimpse. 
Yeah, actually, that is a good point. I'm glad you, you, you went back to that. So um, one of the things that we found through a lot of our um, conversations and consultations with people who are experiencing homelessness um, is that there's a lot of individuals who may not even recognize that they have been homeless. Um, you know, at different points in a person's life, they may be on hard times, they may be, you know, um, adjusting through relationships with their family or spouses or partners and stuff like that and end up, um, you know, couch surfing. They might end up, uh, you know, in hard times because of employment situations and, and accessing services that are, are um, parallel to, to services that go that are often used by people who are, um, you know, fully known as homeless. Um, so there is that parallel, having some understanding of, you know, if you've ever used a food bank, if you've ever had to apply for income assistance, if you've ever, um, you know, had to, um, you know, borrow funds to get through a month, you know, those are all precursors, they're all part of the experience, the emotional experience um, that, that goes along with the experience of homelessness. Um, homelessness isn't just not having a roof over your head, I mm -hmm. think is an important way to look at it. Um, homelessness um, has got much uh, deeper uh, roots to it um, and a really important part of understanding the, the experience of someone who is homeless is um, that personal history, that story behind it as to what were the precursors, what were the events, what were the circumstances that led to this and, and it's a very important thing to understand the difference between the problems with the system of homelessness and the, the issues that, that people face as they become homeless or when they become homeless. So there's a, a obviously a timeliness to this whole conversation. So April 1st, a lot of the temporary shelters will uh, shut down. Um, we had a, a lot of information lately on the news about how expensive Kelowna is for rent. Mm -hmm. um, I was reading part of the Journey Home Society presentation to City Council about uh, core housing is when household spends 30% of in income on housing Extreme core is when household spends over 50% income on housing. And so we have roughly 9,200 people. Uh, so 47% of Kelowna's rental um, uh, market are in core housing and 4,150 are in extreme housing needs. So your point, G, which is, you know, when you start pushing on the boundaries of income, and your rent becomes higher and higher and higher, obviously you are sitting on a tipping point of potentially being homeless. Yeah, and I don't think it's really uh, too hard for most people to understand that, you know, it is very common for people in this community, you know, in the Okanagan, I'll even go so far as to say, and, and, and beyond in BC, uh, for people to be living beyond their means in the, in the environments that they're in. They, 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 most people are only a paycheck away from destitution. Most people are, you know, struggling, uh, you know, battling revolving credit, like all those types of things that, that a lot of people are facing on a day-to-day -day basis is one straw is going to break the camel's back and, and they could find themselves in, in real dire straits. And I think that's where the, the understanding that, you know, homelessness isn't a choice. It's not a, it's not a outcome of, of poor decisions so far as to say a lot of the system, a lot of the economic system, the, the, market system for housing in, in spaces like Kelowna um, really have a hierarchy and they really have a, di a dichotomy, I guess, where there's, for lack of a better term, haves and have-nots. Mm -hmm. And Kelowna's, uh, I've been in Kelowna coming on 30 years and there is 
always been, in my experience in Kelowna, a very clear line between uh, those who are here and can afford to be here and those are here um, and are trying to afford to be here. Right. right. <laughs> that's uh, That's been my experience in Kelowna for the last 30 years. That's a great perspective, Gene. And and I think it, it, it's not one you know, we always have prevalent in our thought because, you know, uh, those that perhaps are close to have nots don't necessarily want to admit it, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and do everything to get out of it. Yeah. And even those that present as having, some of them don't have uh, much either. And that could be even in whether it's affordability in a household or it could be something that, you know, they have a wet bar at home, right? And, and but, then yeah. there's an addiction there that, that is just isn't presented or it's managed very, very well, or you have supports that you can pay for or attend that help you. And even, and even, you know, we've, in our consultations, again, we've come across lots of individuals who um, were the haves, you know, they had things and they had probably had them more than once. And, and, you know, intelligent, resourceful individuals who've been able to sort of pull themselves up by the bootstraps maybe twice, three times in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then they eventually, it just taps out like they just, something will occur or some incidents or circumstance in their life will occur that they just can't overcome or that they just don't have whatever, you know, resource to overcome that challenge. And then, you know, once you step on a, on, on that slope into what we might call sort of street entrenched homelessness or, you know, shelter level homelessness where people are seeking um, shelter um, in our shelter system, you know, <clears throat> that's a sticky web to get out of. Mm-hmm. Even if you've had resources, if you've had supports in the past that have been able to, to assist, you know, uh, moving forward, um, there is some issues in our in the in the shelter system and the and the how in the the system for people who are experiencing homelessness that make it very challenging to to move out of. Even if you are a resourceful, intelligent, and you know um, person with some sort of supports and engagements in your in your life, you know, stigma is one of them. You know. <laughs> And is that the only thing that makes it, or what you said it was sticky to get out of there? What what might some other sticking points be for some people to kind of come out of that? So again, just in the in the economics of it, you know, once once an individual has kind of exhausted their own resources, maybe their own finances, maybe the finances of their friends and family that have been trying to support them, um, and you get that to a level where you are. In order to receive a lot of resources, you have to be at, for lack of a better term, rock bottom. You have to have nothing left. You have to exhaust all your resources. You have to sell your vehicles. You have to you have to get rid of all that stuff before you qualify for certain types of service. Okay. So you don't qualify for services if you still have some resources, yet your resources may not amount to enough to get you out of the situation you're in. So you're in a, uh, stuck in this gray area. So once you liquidate and you release of all those things or have used all up all those resources up and you then qualify for certain types of supports like income assistance or things like that the economics of income assistance don't allow you to move forward if you're in a shelter system uh, i know they've just made some adjustments to the income but you're basically if you're in a shelter system you might get on income assistance i'm pretty sure the amount's under 500 dollars. right and how is an individual who's living in a shelter system going to use $500 a month to, to get out of the situation they're in. Especially in Cologne. In a place where they potentially couldn't have, affo- couldn't have afforded or, or weren't able to manage, uh, you know, three, maybe four times that amount of income, and they still ended up in the shelter system. Well, I, the stat I read today was basically you need $48,000 a year or you 
you start taking on roommates and, and you know, a lot yeah. of that core housing thing comes up again. One interesting story, I think it was last time I saw you chat to our, our business group, was uh, you mentioned, okay, so we all think that we're so far removed from, from homelessness, but then you, there was a story told about, let's say, uh, a guy um, comes home, you know, his, his marriage fell apart, so he decides to uh, stay a night in a hotel, uh, goes out for a beer with a friend, he slipped uh, a drug for whatever reason, he, he falls down a path of uh, perhaps addiction, and then two months later, he's living like basically on the streets uh, without resources. And, and, and when you talk about how quickly things can turn, especially in Kelowna, um, you know, where things are expensive and it's, it's, uh, it can be a tough place to live if you're not making that 48K. Is that how quickly it can turn for a lot of people? Even even faster. I know, like the the story you just provided. You know, that's that's a long run down. You know, an individual facing some emotional disturbance in their home, whether it's a loss, uh, you know, of a spouse or a child, um, and and to just to be on point with that, the individuals we've consulted over the years, the couple hundred uh, hundreds of of people who've experienced different types of homelessness or different experiences in homelessness. Um, you know, grief is a huge piece of it. And so it's pretty easy to under, I think it's easy for, for the, for most people to understand that there's a tendency for us as human beings to self-medicate our grief. That's a common thing. I think, you know, you know, we don't have to be talking about homelessness to, to expose that, you know, people tend to seek substances like alcohol or other stuff to, to medicate their grief. Um, so we don't even have to have that dramatic of a scenario where, you know, he's, you know, experienced some other substance or anything like that. Uh, you know, I also work in, an, in a substance use and addiction field and, you know, we're still seeing the, the largest numbers of people accessing, you know, um, recovery services from an alcoholic point of view, not necessarily a street drug or anything like that. The numbers are still super high. Mm -hmm. There's still, you know, without going too far into the, the weeds of it, you know, people are scratching their heads about having a marijuana shop uh, in their neighborhood, but there's three liquor stores that have been there forever, right? So, right. so those types of paradigms, right. there's, and and it's and it's a veil that needs to be lifted that that I think you know, people, individuals need to just you know be aware of, right? That that they're not that different of things, um, and you don't need to go into you know some of the hard street substances to have the same outcomes, you know. Um, so yeah, an individual has a grief experience or has a loss in their life, whether it's you know relational, their family, uh, a spouse, whether it's a job, um, you know it could be a number of things. They begin to self-medicate. Um, we know that that type of behavior creates um, problems in relationships. So if the relationships were struggling to begin with, you know substances aren't going to help usually. <laughs> so. So mm -hmm. it, it's a downward spiral and it doesn't take long. Like you said, if you're, if you're already sort of at the tipping point or just kind of getting by and, and, and operating in a, in a realm where, you know, not necessarily even paycheck to paycheck, maybe you have a little nest egg. Those things don't last very long when push comes to shove mm -hmm. um, if, if you're unaware. And, and I think that's one of the biggest things that uh, the general public might need to really understand is that, again, anyone who you know, is, is experiencing an episode of homelessness or, or precursors to homelessness. Um, there, there may be some decisions that are being made, but 
like I said, once you start down that spiral or you, you step into that realm, it becomes very challenging to make a move out of it. And uh, to get your head back above water um, can be super challenging. And once you step into that realm, if you start looking to access resources, um, you know, most people in their first or, you know, their first time looking at resources dealing with homelessness and finances, it's completely covert. They don't want anybody to know. They don't want people to know they're hurting. They don't, don't want people to know they're broke. They mm -hmm. don't want people to know, um, you know, what their needs are because it's, it's embarrassing uh, for a lot of people. That's a relationship to stigma. You know, how are their friends going to perceive them? How is, you know, how are they going to be seen in their community, you know, as, you know, quote unquote, a failure or, you know, whatever else might be going along with that. And that shadow that they step into where they, you know, have a fear of asking for support, a fear of asking for help because of the, the stigma that goes along with it just gets bigger and darker. You step into not just a shadow, but a, a complete blackness when you get down to the point of, you know, legitimate homelessness, shelter system level homelessness. So uh, the question I have, so, and, and those are, those are great ideas surrounding, you know, why a lot of people get, get mired in that and never seem to pull themselves out again. So switching gears a little bit, and, and this question I open up to both of you is, um, you know, we have this, this, uh, journey home initiative. How are we doing? Like, what would our report card be? in in right now 2021 march of 21 um are we are we making strides are we doing the right things are we moving forward are or are we just basically holding the the dam back like how are we doing let's go first yeah you know i think uh the best indicator would be uh, just in the last couple of weeks our uh chair uh stephanie ball uh, made, um, uh, sorry, our executive director, <laughs> I'm the chair, Rick, awkward <laughs> moment right now. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, COVID, I'm blaming it on COVID. Yeah, blame it I'm all, yes. It. I just made a presentation to council about kind of the map to functional zero. And we talked about functional zero in our last podcast. And just kind of what are those, those things that we've moved on that have progressed us towards uh, hopefully achieving that? And, you know, some of those uh, markers were, you know, the creation in a community backbone organization, which is really what Journey Home is, with the proper voices, the indigenous lens, the lived experience lens, the, the youth lens of just making sure those are integrated into the process so that we have a holistic perspective of moving forward over the next five years. The other things we, we had as part of that process was creating uh, 300 beds of supportive housing and, and so far there's been more than that I think it's 345 beds so far that have wraparound services of support housing in our community and that's in partnership with a lot of different agencies in town that are helping create those those beds that similar to what um, uh, G was talking about of, of assisting people in, in whatever circumstance they're, they're net needing to deal with whether it's it's addictions or finances or what have you to really help them in the best way possible with case management and, and navigating that journey with them, as difficult as that is, and as even as I'm sure he could attest to in his his uh, uh, experiences, there's way less case managers, way more individuals. Like it's just hard, right? Mm -hmm. That said, those are progressions. You know, the the rental market and increase in rent supplements is a is a positive thing. Those are things are moving. I don't think there's been as much movement forward in that area. Uh, there is new a new rent bank that's coming online here in Kelowna soon, which is is another step in helping create some some supplements that people can start affording uh, housing in Kelowna. But again, that that is a difficult thing. And as as 
many of us know, even the rent, uh, in the purchase market, there's nothing available today because the, the prices, people are paying exorbitant prices for housing, and so everything's going up. It's not going down. Mm-hmm. And Kelowna seems to be this enigma compared to the rest of the country that people are wanting to come here now uh, because they can work online even. And so that even has a downward effect on, on us making advancements in there. You know, the lived experience circle has been incredibly insightful in that. And I think that voice has more work to be done, the inclusiveness nature of that, of more of us understanding what that means and how, you know, Gia's facilitates that and he can speak greater to the, some of the needs there. Uh, one of those things that we're working on significantly is, and, and I think there's movement, but it hasn't been, is that indigenous voice and that indigenous lens of, of working together uh, to, to make sure that we understand from homelessness from that perspective. And so I think there's some really great markers that have happened, mm-hmm. but it's a lot of work. And you know, that the, the, the sector has a lot of work and, and I'm proud of the sector, as I mentioned last time, of how much we work together to, to have a systems approach uh, to, to overcoming homelessness in, in our uh, city. But it, it's incremental and I think for some, you know, uh, April after April, when you see these shelters closing down and more now, I know a lot of people going, oh, great, here's all these people going to be on our streets again. You know, like that's that mentality that happens. And part of this, I think, where Journey Home probably could get better in this entire sector is fronting for everybody, kind of some of the advancements, some of the movements, not just in front of city council. More goalposts, yeah. Yeah, just helping them understand what those goalposts are with the same acknowledgement that hey this isn't achievable in in weeks or months this is years uh, and it will be a continued effort over the course of years to to help us get to a place where if somebody comes in here we can have them on the pathway where they can make a decision going to recovery so uh, so what when i'm so there's two questions kind of burning in my head is is uh and this is something i hear out in the community is is it is it homes first or is it addiction treatment first so so yeah, I want to. I'm going to make it really super clear, and I and I and it's a it's a part of that stigma mentality that people have, the assumption that if you're homeless, it's because of addiction or some of those issues. I'll tell you right now, the majority of people have their first experience of homelessness. Uh, they have their first movement into the homelessness sector, um, and they have no mental health or substance use issues or concerns. Those are not the precursors to homelessness. Um, they are an, uh, uh, an outcome of homelessness. So when, you're, when, when an individual ends up in a shelter system and that shelter system is generally in a, in a, in a neighborhood or a community, a, a part of the community um, where criminality and those types of things already occur. So, you know, we don't want it in our nice neighborhoods. We want to shelter, you know, on the, in the back 40 where mm-hmm. things can happen and uh, and an individual has to then learn how to live that lifestyle that comes with that system um, quite often that medication that you know choosing to participate in that medication and, and medicating your emotions medicating your experience medicating all that stuff becomes an issue that's that's a major major um, sort of a myth that's out there about the experience of homelessness the majority the vast majority of people who are experiencing homelessness are not in a paradigm of mental health or substance use um, uh, issues um, when they go in to an experience of homelessness. That's, it, those are not the precursors. The precursors are generally grief, trauma, loss, those types of things, um, you know, real drastic relational changes, real drastic employment, uh, how, and those types of changes. Um, those are the, usually the, the initial places where, where the issue comes from. That being said, 
that movement out of the system is going to require support because once you've been in that system, it's, and I think people can understand the paradigm. If you were put in a prison for mm -hmm. X number of years, when you get out of that prison, it's going to take a while to adapt back to a, you know, a, a, a community communal lifestyle back into a, a citizenship and all those types of things. You may have picked up some habits, some, some tendencies along the way that were meant for survival right. in that environment. Mm -hmm. And the term that was used was institutionalized is usually the, the term that's often used. The same paradigm happens in the homeless serving sectors. You put someone in a shelter system where they share a room with 80 other people on bunk beds mm. and you leave them there for four years. They're going to have complications adjusting back to a typical experience. And those are the things that I think adjusting the paradigm and the stigma of it is being able to say that like, um, you know, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Well, you, they need a roof. Definitely. We need housing. Housing first initiatives are fundamental to the movement. Uh, they need to parallel, parallel uh, substance use mental health supports. And again, I always, I, I talk about the substance use mental health supports uh, along that paradigm as, as not necessarily meaning people need to be in recovery, not necessarily people need a psychologist. They just need that level of support and engagement from a community that brings them back into what you might consider to be um, citizenship. Because a lot of individuals on both sides, people who are housed looking at this issue, people who are experiencing the issue, um, see individuals who are experiencing homelessness as something other than a citizen of the community and that's an issue that's a major issue so gee i'm like a joe or jane colonaite and yeah. i somehow found this podcast i you know i clicked on a link or so i found something and i'm listening in yeah. and i'm intrigued yeah but i go what can i do about it? like you know this this seems i just see frustrations more than i see uh, you know possibilities or i uh, I, I get some of the, what you're talking about and what we're representing here, but it just, it, 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 I, I don't see those goalposts. I don't see those movements. Like, what, what can I learn from this? Or what can I take from this? Or what would you go, hey, you know, here's a next step for you or you can contribute uh, in your own way? So as an individual, you know, um, I, you know, I can encourage people if they have the capacity and the wherewithal to volunteer in organizations and to go down and meet people. Mm -hmm. and, and see what the experience is like, participate at some level uh, with, a, with that level of contribution, right? That, that level of involvement. Um, I think when individuals spend time in, in the shelter spaces or around where homeless uh, individual, people who are homeless congregate, I think you do get a different lens as to um, how and why. You, you get to understand the, the experience that a person's going through rather than um, looking at it from afar, right? Through a telescope or from, you know, you know from, from a long ways off. So I think that's fundamentally the thing. I don't, you know, when we did our consultations with hundreds of people who were experiencing homelessness, they didn't ask for money. They didn't even ask for roofs. They asked for humanity. They wanted to be seen as a part of this community. A lot of the individuals here, and, and, it, and it flexes, but most people have been in Kelowna for a while. Most people have had jobs in Kelowna. Most people have worked and lived in this, in the Okanagan at least, um, in this area um, before they experienced homelessness or through their downward slide into experiencing homelessness. Um, so they are citizens. They are people of this area, and and it seems like there's a line that they tend that that it's an invisible line, but it seems like they cross a line uh, in the public view as being citizens or as being members of this community. So I think that's fundamental. The big one. People need to have a relationship with 
the experience. And that's done, and I think it's done best face-to-face. It's done best in, in the spaces where, where people congregate. Beyond that, get informed. You know, there's, there is stuff happening. Uh, like um, Scott said, you know, Stephanie's done a great job at, at sort of um, uh, putting some stuff out there. There is definitely more we can do to sort of balance the information out that's out there about what's going on. So, but get informed. There are people we, you can talk to. Uh, there's places you can find out more information about what Journey Home has done. And and I'd say even bigger than that, I think a lot of people also look at this as a Kelowna issue um, because we experience it here. We're experiencing, you know, this is, you said you're Joe Jane Kelowna. Yeah. But this is a national, this is an international. Homeless, homelessness in the world is on a, an upswing. It's an issue globally. And, um, you know, there are places that are making great headway. We're in communication with those places. We're in, you know, uh, we, we, we bounce ideas off each other. We see what works in their community. We try and figure out if it's going to work here. So this is happening. There's things like this happening all over Canada, all over North America and beyond. So I would encourage people, if they are really interested, to explore some of those things and see that while we are here sort of in this little bubble talking about the experience here in downtown Kelowna for the most part, mm-hmm. this is not a unique experience. Kelowna hasn't done something wrong. That's another thing. Mm. It's, it's a system that's happened. It's a thing that's occurred. It's, it's not anything you can put your finger on. And, and I know a lot of people talk about the different levels of government taking responsibility. And, you know, at a, when journey home started, there was a little sort of the back and forth and finger pointing as who's going to do this. I really credit the Kelowna municipality for, um, choosing to involve themselves at the level they have, I think it's fantastic. I think it's 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 where it starts at home. It's interesting because last week we were talking to Ron Matusi, who was the chief administrative officer for Kelowna up until 2019. He talked about being pulled into this this mm-hmm. issue because he said, you know, because homelessness obviously it, it it's uh, it's property, it's uh, safety, it's policing, like it it touches so many segments of the community. Two things, because uh, I want to I want to wrap up here real quick. I could talk to you all day. Yeah. I really could. Um, but but two things, and I and it's people, and it's his feedback, and I want to give them a bit of a voice just to hear what you have to say about it. So one is, okay, so you're homeless, so you get a house. What what kind of entitlement does that mean? Like why why do you get a house? Because I've worked all my life, and I've had you know, I hear those things. And number two is. Um, there's okay so we we get homes over these people uh so how come what stops 200 people from showing up here in july from prince george or points elsewhere and inundating our system again so those are two very quick questions if you can just sure because like i said i could talk to you all day but i me too so i i'll try and be brief so um I want to just take... I, I don't like listening to you all day, Rick. I'm going to jump back <laughs> just a second. You asked about the scorecard in Kelowna. Yeah. And fundamentally, it's who you ask. So like you mentioned, if you ask the RCMP, they're going to have a different scorecard. You ask the, the, the hospital, you ask different services, they're all going to have a different scorecard. I think what's important is to, to get the point of view of the people who are experiencing homelessness, and that's where the lived experience circle comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, them being able to give their feedback directly into the decision-making bodies is, is fundamental. Okay. So we have individuals, we support them in being able to, to share that and to gather it from the broader community and bring it into places like Journey Home, John Howard, CMHA, we want to have conversations with them and, and let them know what's happening in real time so that they make better decisions. We, tr- we want to trust them to make better decisions, but they also need to be informed from the source. 
right? Um, so it depends on who you ask. There was a piece about indigenous that I, I did want to touch on. And again, a colonial system can't fix an indigenous issue. Indigenous people uh, will need to fill that space and, and carry that out, right? So uh, while we want to encourage, support, be an ally and all those types of things, um, it's, it's really interesting for us to, to have that conversation. And it's the thing that I encounter all the time when we're looking at this stuff, especially as we start branching into indigenous lenses and things like that. Um, there's a lot of things we can do to support the process, uh, but just like homelessness issues need to be informed by people who are homelessness or are experiencing homelessness, um, indigenous issues absolutely have to be informed by people who are indigenous. Um, colonial systems can't fix their fix this, even though we broke it, <laughs> right? Right. We're not gonna. We're, we need to. In my opinion, this is just my opinion. We need to step back. Uh, support with resources and everything like that, but it completely needs to be led by an indigenous lens and, and ind indigenous leaders in that way. So, okay. so that's a key one. You mentioned the house that everyone gets. Uh, I want to ask you if you live in a house or a home. I live in a home. Right. right. And that's a difference. There's a difference between me providing you with a house right. and you having a home. And while we are using housing first to provide people with a space that is secure it is consistent. It's not going to be gone in six months. It's not contingent on behavior. It's not contingent on our expectations of an individual. We're providing them stability. From that stability, they can improve the things. They can address the issues that, that maybe got them where they are or that are keeping them where they are. But they need some level of stability to do that. And that's what the housing, pardon me, the housing first principle is creating some sense of stability, housing's a right, um, but those aren't homes, right? They can decorate them, they can stay in them for four or five years, six years or whatever it is, but it's still not necessarily a home. It's very different mentality. And so, you know, I think it's super important that we are still continuing, even through Housing First initiatives, uh, you know, we can sh give someone that stability, give them that security, provide them with supports so that eventually they can d build their own home you know, okay. whatever that looks like for them. And, yeah. and I, not that I want to interrupt you, but I, yeah. I've always seen it as a primary factor in a system of care. That's really what yeah. that housing first is. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it's necessary to get to the other pieces. And that, and, and it really is, you know, it's not a perm, they don't own that said house. Like yeah. that's not how it works, right? Yeah. They, it, it is really set up to be that place that is a primary factor to get the, the infrastructure so that, Right? It's the next Stopping and, the bleeding, Air, and, airway breathing, circulation. You know, there's things you got to do to save a person's life, and this is what that is. This is the initial triage. We're we're stabilizing an individual so that we can get to the the, the deeper, bigger issues that that have brought them to where they are. Okay, so that is one of the best explanations I've ever heard for that. Thank you for that, and that's why this discussion, this conversation, is so invaluable because as we go along, I I learn a lot more about you know this concern. So. Uh, 30 seconds, one minute, uh, can you talk a little bit about, okay, so if we, if we satisfy or if we, we help out the people that are currently in the experiencing homelessness, can we, can we handle another 100, 200 that might come here because they're like, hey, Kelowna does a great job with their homeless population, I'm going to go there. So, so again, it goes back to that home thing. People don't leave, people tend, they don't necessarily leave their home environment um, if they don't absolutely have to. 
right? So there's there's people who will know quite clearly that our housing first initiative is well underway and that we're making great headway and even in a year or two, if we've made even greater strides, um, there's people that are gonna know that and they're still not gonna leave their home community because it's their home community. It's the, it's for lack of a better term, I guess, the devil they know versus the one they don't. They have to step into a fully different system. So I don't see that as being a major issue. If it does, if it does, if you have people that come here and they're like, I couldn't get anywhere where I was, I couldn't get out of the problems I was facing where I was, I had to come here because I heard you guys are supportive, mm-hmm. I heard you guys are helpful, I heard you guys are efficient, I heard you guys are full of heart and love and compassion, and I heard, I can't think of a better uh, way to be looked at as a community, mm-hmm. as, as a community that helps. Will we have the capacity to support individuals like that? Well, from my lens, the capacity starts with the compassion. Um, If you have the compassion, if you have the heart to do the work, um, you will figure it out, you'll find a way, and it won't be a burden. Mm -hmm. Yeah, compassion is that X factor for me, and that is, you know, if we can become a compassionate city, not only to those that are experiencing homelessness, but you know, I think, my big thing also is can I be compassionate towards my neighbor or the person like the compassion if that's not a narrative in, in a listener's life you're not going to have compassion for for the those that are experiencing homes you just won't because it's not part of your essence and if you can start to get that part of your essence as a first step I think that'll that'll actually completely change your perspective about how you view your entire uh, like where you live where your home is as well as your workplace and then the broader community and you'll you'll see a different perspective on that and I I think you nailed that. Yeah, and it goes back to that relationship. If you're not sure, go check it out. Go go meet people. If you see someone who looks like they're struggling, um, look them in the eye. Mm-hmm. Ask them how, you know, you don't have to have a long conversation with them, <clears throat> but treat them like a human being. Look at them like you would look at the barista at your coffee shop, mm-hmm. you know, like as a, as, a, as a person that you're willing to engage on a personal level as equals. And, and I know you want to wrap this up, Rick, but the, the you know, it, it, it's what I see the journey in you of, of asking hard questions, mm-hmm. not, not because you're just, you know, you're, you're rude or you're going, I don't get you. You ask because you want to know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the other important thing is that if you're asking because you want to know so you can understand, that's completely different than if you're just trying to make a point. Right. And, and, yeah. and, and I think you ask these questions wanting to know. And, and I'm just, I'm, I'm proud of you for doing that. And I think anybody who's listening, if they, if they can ask a question to understand, mm-hmm. they're going to have far better progression in this journey than if they ask to make a point and I think that is hopefully what we're doing here is just creating an opportunity for people to understand in a bigger way thank you very much Uh, educational awareness I would put it right those are two good words thank you G for sharing and and for being really open about you know what we're facing and Scott, as always, uh, even though an Oilers fan, a good guy nonetheless. So, uh, <laughs> sitting here with the Furta boys. <laughs> uh, so, thanks again, and we'll uh, we'll wrap this up. And thanks for having thanks me. Again. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening in on the Homeless in Kelowna podcast. If you have feedback, reach out to us via email, Rick at TempestMedia.net.